morning, church. Thank you, thank you, thank you, man, thank you. I paid her to be here. It's great. It's going to be a good morning. My name is Chris Rodriguez. Um, I lead Praxis, our college ministry, and I'm so just honored to be sharing with you this morning. As Brian mentioned earlier, this service is going to be a little different. I'm going to be sharing the first half of the message. Um, We're going to be looking at the end of Jonah. We're going to look at some of his struggles, and I'm going to kind of unpack that a little bit. And then Buzz is going to come up, and he's going to um, finish off our sermon and, and help us see how we don't fall for the same things that Jonah did. Our text today is going to be Jonah 4. Um, it is a very small book in the Old Testament. Um, if you're using your Bible in, the, in your seat backs, it is page 1443. And I'm going to just read through the whole chapter. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I was trying to forestall by by fleeing the Tarsus. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade to his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about this plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Then the sun rose. God provided a scorching eastern wind And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about a plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been so concerned about this plant that you didn't even tend to or make it grow. It sprung up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for a great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand and so many animals. I want to start with a little story. So the other day, I'm driving in my car. I'm driving to work, and I'm going through a light, and this car comes over from the lane next to me and cuts me off, doesn't use his blinker, because apparently that's what happens in the Bay Area. Why don't y'all use your blinker? I don't understand. But he cuts me off, and if I don't slam on my brakes, he's going to hit me. So what do I do? I beep my horn at him, right? (laughs) Come on. 
Yeah. So he, when I beat my horn at him, he gets infuriated, so angry. This dude loses his mind. So he wants me to know how angry he is at me. So he slows down just close enough that I can see in his back window. And then he gives me the California hello. He's, he, you don't know that. He sticks up his middle finger at me, right? And, but he's not done yet because he really wants me to know how angry he is. So he opens his sunroof visor and sticks his middle finger up out the sunroof and holds it there for like a minute. But he's, he's not done yet. He still wants me to know how angry he is. So he turns it the other way and holds it for another like 30 seconds. And at this point, I'm not even angry. I'm kind of impressed. I'm like, man, I've never seen this before. You're so committed to this anger and creative. My goodness. Wow. But does this guy have any right to be angry at me? Absolutely not. He cut me off, didn't use his blinker, and when I beep at him, he's enraged. No, his anger is irrational and unjustified. In our text that we just read, Jonah seems to have some irrational anger towards God. You may have heard of Jonah. He got his claim to fame by being swallowed by a giant fish. And God says to him, hey, Jonah, Go to those people in that great city over there and tell them to repent or they'll perish. Jonah doesn't want to do that and he says, no, I'm good. And then he walks as far as he can the other way. And he tries to go even farther, so he hops on a boat. God brings a storm. The people on the boat realize, hey, Jonah's the reason why the storms came. So they throw him off the boat. And to save his life, God brings a fish to swallow him. When he's sitting in the belly of the fish, he realizes, like, man, this really sucks. (laughs) So he starts to remember his psalms that they taught him as, as a kid, and he starts praying his psalms, and then he says, my bad, God, and then the fish spits him up on land, and then God comes back to him and says, Jonah, go to that great city over there and preach to those people and tell them to repent or they will perish. And God said, next time... I'm not sending a fish, I'm sending a shark. God didn't say that, I said that. That's why I'm not God. So eventually he he decides, okay, I'm gonna do the right thing, I'm gonna do what God told me to do, and he goes to the city, he preaches to those people, and everybody in that city gives their life to God and they repent. This is is something that we, we don't see a lot. In scripture, it's one of the biggest revivals that we see in biblical history. This is what preachers and prophets dream of. Like, wow, I said something that mattered. But though Jonah did all the right actions, he was still fighting God in his heart. You see, Jonah was displeased by God's decision to spare these people, and it made him so angry. Maybe you can relate to Jonah and, you know, doing all the right actions, but, but maybe your heart is fighting with God just a little bit. Maybe you come to church and you tithe and you volunteer with kids and all of these things. But God wants you to do something very specific. You're like, hmm, no, nah, God, I don't, I don't really like that. 
This is where Jonah's at. And his anger begins to burn and burn and burn, and his, and his rage gets, gets worse, and God tries to reason with him, but he's so blind that he can't even, he can't even hear God. And God asks him, hey, is it right for you to be angry? He's like, yeah. Yeah, it's right for me to be angry. You showed mercy on these people. What's up with that? And Jonah's doing this little dance where he's trying to hold on to God, but he's trying to hold on to his anger as well. And eventually that anger gets so great that he has to let go of God and he begins to walk away from God. And he goes with his anger clenched tight in his hands and he sits under a vine tree. And that vine tree gives him comfort and, and shade. And, you know, he, he's like, man, this is, this is nice. I'm really, I'm really happy with how I feel right now with my anger in this vine tree. But God sends a worm and kills the vine tree. And as the sun hits his head, his anger begins to get worse. And he's, oh, God, you killed my plant. I love this plant. I know I just met this plant, but I love it. I named it, and I talked to it, and you killed it. God, I'm so angry at you. Then God tries to reason with them again. Hey, hey Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about a plant? A plant. It's a plant, Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry about a plant? There were all those people in that city that would have perished. And you're more angry about this plant than you are about them. And Jonah responds, yeah. <laughs> and you killed my plant, so why don't you just kill me too? Whoa, Jonah, are you crazy? Did you lose your mind? When you read the story, when you read the whole book of Jonah, it should almost be comical to you how irrational his anger is. But to Jonah's contemporaries of that time, they wouldn't have saw his anger as irrational. They would have actually saw it as justified because the city that God wanted Jonah to go to to preach repentance and forgiveness and mercy was a city called Nineveh. And this city happened to be the capital of the Assyrian Empire. You know, that same Assyrian Empire that conquered the world with iron chariots that put Jonah's people in, in prison and bondage that overpowered the nations, like that Assyrian empire. So when God says, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah's like, yes, it's absolutely right for me to be angry. How could you choose to save these wicked people that have taken everything from my people? Man, I can understand that kind of anger. See, sometimes we're angry about things that just don't matter, but, but Jonah's anger was justified. And when I think about um, things that I get angry about, the right things that I get angry about, or the justified things I get angry about, I get, I get angry about injustice. I get angry about people that dominate other people. I get angry that there's an international sex trafficking trade of children and that there's American buyers that are the ones that are perpetuating it. I get angry about parents that abuse and neglect their children. It makes me enraged. I, something a little closer to home, I get angry about my little brother who just got out of prison a few weeks ago after serving almost a decade in prison for self-defense while rapists don't serve their prison sentence. While corrupt CEOs who embezzle from their company don't serve their prison sentence. It just seems unfair. 
And I want God's justice. So I get angry about these things, and you probably get angry about some things too that are justified. But what Jonah didn't see and what I didn't see and and what you sometimes don't see is that when we hold on so tightly to our anger, we can't see the things that actually matter, and we can't see the things that God wants us to see. See, Jonah was clinging on to his, his anger so tightly that he couldn't see that God wanted him to offer forgiveness and mercy to some people who were hurting. So this morning, I wanted to just ask you, how do you justify your anger? How do you process through your anger? Maybe it's you get irrational. Maybe nobody can reason with you anymore. Maybe when you get angry like Jonah, you walk away this pattern of just, I'm just, I'm just done with it. Whatever the case is, your anger is too great for you to try to carry on your own. We have to learn how to let go of our anger. Let go of this thing that eventually will die and give it to God. Jonah hangs onto this false vine, this vine that will die. And later, Buzz is going to tell us about this true vine that is God that we're supposed to cling to. So this morning, what I want to encourage you with is don't just hold on to your anger and your frustration. Learn how to give it to God. Connect to that true vine that is God. And take on his spirit of love. This is a high call, and this is a hard call. That's why this morning is a little different. That's why this morning we're going to process through giving this, these things over to God. In a few moments, we're going to have our friends Tisha and Lauren come up here and share a dance to, to, to give us a picture of what it looks like to have these difficulties, these frustration, this, this anger that's burning inside of us, but how, to, how, to, how we give it over to God. So as they come, be blessed. Thank you. Do you ever feel like set up to fail? Like somebody does something amazing and then you have these dumb jokes about how you used to read a book when you were a kid? That's me this morning. I'm really grateful for Tisha and Lauren giving their gifts to us to show us what it can look like to walk out our anger and take it to the king. I'm going to try to teach us a little bit about what it means to connect to the true vine. Uh, And I don't know what it really means to dance or to be a dancer. That's not what I did when I was a kid. When I was a kid, 99.999% of the time I was reading a book. And if I could still have my way, I would love to read a book. In fact, I'd love to be reading a book right now, but I'm at church. And I had a particular particular type of book that I really liked, and this was the Choose Your Own Adventure book. You guys remember these? I don't even think they make them anymore, which is a shame. Um, But if you're not familiar with this genre of literature... That's not literature, whatever. These books, you would read them, and you'd go along with the character, and then when the character had a choice, you got to make the choice for them. You got to choose your own adventure, right? And so it would be like, if you'd like to turn right, go to page 84. If you'd like to turn left, go to page 97. Oh, man, big choice, right? So I'd turn to page 84, and as a kid, I was like, I was a genius. I had cracked 
the code, right? I learned that you don't really know what the choice is gonna turn out to manifest in terms of the consequences that you will reap, and so I left my finger in the page where the choice happened. So then I'd turn to page 84, I'd see what happens, then I'd turn back and keep my place, and maybe I would wanna make another different choice. I had cracked the code, you guys. I could make both choices, see what happened, what worked out better for me. And I feel like our decisions in life sometimes are the, the same way. Right, like sometimes we don't know really what we would want to choose and we don't know really how the outcome is going to turn out for us and it's almost like we wish we could leave our finger in the page and, and walk something down the road. And then sometimes we have these decisions where I feel like we know the outcome and it's just hard to choose the right thing anyway. Can I tell you guys a secret a little bit? Actually, I don't mind telling you, just please don't tell Pastor Danny, right, because we're talking in this series, uh, your brain is trying to kill you for these four weeks, and the secret that I want to tell you is that, man, not just your brain is trying to kill you, like everything is out there and trying to kill you. Everything is out there waging war against the good purposes that God has for you. Your brain is just a picture, but it's not like your brain is a subset of who you are, like your thought life is bad and, and, the, and the way to fix it is like a brain transplant. There's a lot of ourself that we have to bring in alignment with who God is and the good things that he has for us. Your brain, your heart, your actions, your moods, your very sense of being, all of these things wage war against the good things that God has for you. Your brain is trying to kill you, that's true, but man, everything else is too. In fact, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 24. Paul says that, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Right, and here we see Jonah in chapter 4, and this, I think, describes what he is like, waging war against himself, and he has this decision to make, this adventure to choose about his anger. I don't think it's hard to understand what the right choice is. I think Jonah knows just as well as you and I do that it's not right to be angry about the plant. It's not right to be angry about the wrong small things. It's not right to not be angry about the big things. We know. Jonah knew. But Jonah just can't lay it down, give it up, and let it go. When God asks him, is it right to be angry if it's angry about this vine being burned up, Jonah knows the answer is no. Have you ever had somebody ask you a question that frustrated you because you knew the questioner was right and you didn't want to admit it? Sometimes these are pretty innocuous, pretty simple type of a questions. Like, you know, like my wife asked me one time, are you sure you want to get the extra hot salsa at Chipotle? Is that a good decision? Are you sure? And it's the only way I can defend my burrito from my kids. So yes, I want the hot salsa. <laughs> Are you positive that you want to drink that cold brew coffee at 7 p.m.? Are you sure you want this caffeine late at night? Are you sure this is going to turn out well? So those don't really matter, but others tend to hit us harder, right? This way that we know the questioner is right. Sometimes people ask us, or we ask ourselves, or God asks us things like, is it right for you to harbor that unforgiveness? Is it good for you to worry so much? Is it right to live with such a lack of generosity? 
We ask these questions, God asks these questions of us, not because he needs to discover what the answer is. He knows the answer. So why is he asking? And I have a saying that I would love to be famous for. I think it's a really good saying. I'm going to test it on you guys. And hiding behind every question is the question you really want to ask. So I have some examples. If I ask you, hey, what are you doing later? I don't actually care. What I really want to know is, are you free to do what I want you to do later? Right? Or maybe ask somebody, hey, what's your week that you serve in children's ministry? You don't really want to know that. What you want to know is, hey, are you free to switch me my week in children's ministry? Right? If I ask you, are you going to eat that? I really, can I eat that? That's where I'm going with this. Right? But we ask these questions, hiding behind them is a, is a real question that we want to ask. And so when God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He doesn't need to know if it's right or not. He wants Jonah to journey in and see what's the real question God is asking me here. You know, Jonah isn't the only one in the scriptures that burns with anger and then acts out. In fact, this passage reminds me a lot of Cain and Abel, all the way back at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. You know, Cain, it tells us in the word, burns hot with anger and struck his brother Abel and killed him. This is the first murder. And God shows up and he asks Cain a question that he already knows the answer to. Where is your brother? God asks. God knows where he is. Do you remember how Cain responds? He asks another question to the Lord. He says, am I my brother's keeper? And the great tragedy, the great irony of Cain is that what he thought should be answered, no, you're not, really should have been answered, yes, you are your brother's keeper. This person you should have been looking out for, you destroyed his life. God asks Cain these questions as a way to get Cain to see life the way God wants him to. And here Jonah has a chance to do the same thing, to see his anger in the same way that God sees it. He has a chance to see that his anger is misplaced and these frustrations that he's been carrying for four chapters about the mission he's on and about the repentance that he wants to engender in these people. He has an opportunity to see that Jonah, his brain, his mind, his will, his emotions, his very self, which wages war against the good purposes that God has not only for him but for the world, he can call a ceasefire on that war. But Jonah chooses not to. He hangs on tight, doesn't he? And he says, I am angry enough to die. And I think that's the real irony and tragedy of Jonah because he's right. He is angry enough to die. This is sort of what the Apostle Paul means when he tells us that the wages of sin is death. If you hang on to those things which are not of God, you will surely die. Not just a physical death, not just a spiritual death in the life to come, but in this life, you will be sitting up under a crispy, dried up, worm-eaten vine, holding so tightly. Jonah hangs on. He's not ready to let go. He's angry enough to die. You know, I imagine, what if Jonah was an attender here? at Three Crosses Church. It's almost like he's been attending these past four weeks in our Your Brain is Trying to Kill You series and starting to buy in a little bit and realizing, 
I need to change my actions. I need to change where I go. I need to change how I spend my time. I need to change what I do. He does all the right things, but just like Chris taught us, in his heart, he still is embittered. In his heart, he is still fighting. You know, the other tragedy of Jonah is that when he finally gets what he's trained his whole life to do, to preach a message and find repentance, it turns to dust and ashes in his mouth. I wonder how often we find ourselves there too, that we have everything that you could ever want. Our circumstances are good. Everything you've dreamed of, there's no reason you should be angry in your circumstances, but still, for some reason, it tastes bitter. Your heart isn't in the right place. You're still angry enough to die. And you guys, if we don't let go of our anger, we're going to die. But what if the book of Jonah was a choose-your-own-adventure book? What if Jonah had cracked the code, just like a young Buzz had done, and left his finger here in Jonah chapter 4, so that when he saw what the fruits of his anger reaped a harvest of, he could come back and maybe make a different type of a decision? What if instead of saying, I am angry, Lord, it's right for me to be angry, take my life, what if he had said, you know what, Lord, I am angry, would you help me? Father, I'm angry about this plant, but I'm not angry about your people, would you change my heart? What if Jonah had said, Lord, you're right, and I am wrong. Would you help me to get there? You know, one of the great things, I think, about Scripture as God's Word to us is that we don't have to learn these lessons the hard way by failing and experiencing them ourselves. We get to look at people like Jonah who tasted these fruits of anger and see if that's where you want to go. You don't need to leave your finger in your own page. You can make a good decision on your own because of the truth that's revealed to us here in Jonah chapter 4. If we're holding on to something today, maybe the Lord is asking you, is it right to hold on to that? Are you ready to let it go? Is it time for forgiveness? Is it time for repentance? Is it time for open-heartedness? Is it time for generosity? We saw what Jonah's hanging on got him, a dead vine and a sucker. Don't hang on to that vine of death. Sometimes I feel like the real question behind God's questions to us is something kind of like, do you trust me to do good things in your life? Do you trust that I have your best interests in mind? Do you trust that my plan is good, that my purposes are good, that my values are higher than yours? Do you trust me? Are you ready to fully live as I've called you? So what's the solution then? Doing it on our own, working harder, changing our actions, lying to ourselves that we're not angry anymore, putting on a happy face and pretending? I don't think so. I think the solution to living under a crispy, dried up, worm-eaten vine is simply to switch vines. You know, in John 15, Jesus describes himself to us as the true vine. He promises his disciples that if you remain in me, Jesus says, if you connect to me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And the fruit that comes with following Jesus is things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That fruit is much more beautiful, much more lasting, much more sustaining than anger. In fact, the book of James tells us that man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. 
We don't produce that fruit on our own. We produce it in connection with him. In fact, Jesus goes on to say in John 15, it's those branches which are separated from the vine. Those dry up and they're good for nothing but to be thrown out back and to be burned. But if you remain in the true vine as a branch, you will bear much fruit. That's the good news of the gospel, you guys, that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, but if we remain in him, there is life and life to the full. I think today is a good day to connect to that true vine. It's a good day to switch. It's a good day to lay down our dried up anger, resentment, apathy, whatever it is, and to pick up those things that God is calling us to. Maybe you're too angry about a small thing. God wants you to let that go. Maybe you're not angry enough about a big injustice, and God wants you to pick that up. Whatever it is, I think today can be your day. And so I'd like to advise you to participate in something we don't do very often here at Three Crosses, but I think today is a good day to do it. And so I'm going to invite our prayer team to come down forward. I'm going to invite our band to come back up. And I want to invite you, if you are feeling a stirring in your heart, to connect to that true vine, to come down front and let us pray for you and with you. Maybe that's to give your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. Today can be that day. His true vine is good. Maybe that's a day to exchange the ashes of your life for the beauty that's available in his kingdom, whatever that is, anger, apathy, resentment, those fruits of dried up life, exchange those in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray. The band is going to play some songs, and I invite you to come down. Whether you're in the balcony or down front, come on down. Let us pray for you. Don't leave here without connecting to that true vine, which is Jesus Christ. Let's pray.